Hello and welcome back to Diaries of a Lady Gardener. If you think gardening is cool and would rather take a trip to the gardens than to the go out out, you found the right podcast, but also you're not in the minority. Research from Draper Tools has revealed that over 80% of young people officially think gardening is cool, mainly because of its benefits for mental health and the environment. Draper Tools are proudly sponsoring season two of the Diaries of a Lady Gardener podcast, so why not join me in following them on Instagram? at draper underscore tools. This episode is a little bit different from the rest as it isn't about gardens or allotments, but plant lovers are plant lovers, whether those live inside or outside. So I'm super excited to share my chat with Rob, co-founder of Hutch House Plants, an incredible plant shop based in Exeter. He shared lots of tips and tricks as well as the amazing story behind the business. P.S. Just a word of warning, it's highly likely you'll finish this episode with a burning desire to buy more houseplants. So... Enjoy! Hi Rob, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. You'll have to excuse my hoarse voice because I've had this um this little cold, so not quite sounding myself. <laughs> well, it's going round at the moment, isn't it? Everyone seems to be getting something. Yeah, it's just that autumn, winter, like we've not been contagious for a year or so. So just going to have to yeah. power through. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so super excited to have you here today, because as much as I love garden plants, um, I do have not even a secret love. I bloody love houseplants and my collection has expanded rapidly since COVID began. <laughs> Um, so you run Hutch House Plants in Exeter, which is one of my favourite plant shops. Um, and we met at Rosemore Flower Show earlier this year um, with your amazing stand there. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it was good fun. It was it was a really nice nice little show. That I think we had a lot of fun there. Definitely, and you won an award, didn't you, for your display? Yes, we did. Yeah, it was the first time we'd ever done anything like this, where we been asked to go and build a display garden we've been there before to just be like a trade stand or something mm-hmm. um and so we came up with the wacky idea of trying to build a massive glass house to then fill with house plants so obviously the show's outside we didn't know what the weather was going to be like we didn't know whether the plants would survive um, and so we went there with kind of no real expectations it was just to go and have fun and um yeah we got we were lucky enough to get five flowers which is kind of the top mark you can get and then we also won the curator's choice award um which was yeah it was massively overwhelming weekend um and lots of fun and we met so many lovely people and we did some talks in the talks tent um and it's just a really great garden to go and be in it's such a nice space to be in as well Definitely. And it was actually really nice. Me and my mum had been to um, Hampton Court Palace like a month earlier. And we were saying that we almost preferred it to like the bigger show because you could kind of get to know people a little bit more and you could really like take your time to go around and see everything rather than having to kind of like rush through and there were less crowds. And yeah, overall, it was just such a lovely, such a lovely day. Yeah, it felt it felt really nice. It was the first thing I think that we've been at since covid that was kind of like a normal event like a pre-covid event where people were just out and about and it it felt really comfortable it didn't feel too busy everyone was there having fun um, and like you say it, what was nice was we just spent i mean i pretty much lost my voice by the end of the weekend because we <laughs> talking to people because you just you had time to kind of chat to people and talk about plants and everyone there is passionate about plants so Definitely. there was just a, a lot of nice people around 
Yeah, and um, I attended your terrarium workshop in the talks tent, um, which is probably one of the highlights of my day because I, I don't know what it was, but I always thought that they would be really difficult to sort of create and maintain. And then the same day I got home from that workshop, I was like, I've literally got all of the stuff to do this. I've got the perfect plants. I've got the perfect bowl and did it straight away. <laughs> yeah. And that's been it. And that has always been our our driving kind of ethos behind Hutch and behind everything we do with houseplants with terrariums. I think it can sometimes feel a, a bit like there's some kind of dark art to it or it's kind of overly complicated, or you need to be using the right substrates and this, that, and the other. Um, and we'll have the same conversation with people where they say, I'm really good in the garden. I love plants in the garden, but I kill everything indoors. And I think we've always been driven by this idea that it's not difficult. It's just about making sure people understand what it is they're buying, where it comes from, how to keep it alive. And it's the same principle with terrariums. There's no, there's the science behind them and the history, which I find fascinating, but actually if you get it right, put the right things in, it's really straightforward and you have lots of fun with it. I think that's what plants should be, you know, every, it should be accessible. Everyone should be able to enjoy them. And whether it's in your garden, indoors, whatever, it should be something you can get involved with. Definitely. And I think a lot of people buy one house plant from a supermarket when it's probably lo- already looking a bit sad and then it dies within a few weeks and they, they've got this like, I cannot grow plants. I just can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the thing. I think there's, because the, because houseplants are like so prevalent now and you can get them from all over the shop. So you can get them in supermarkets and gift shops, lots of different places. It's really easy to think of them as um, just an, like another addition to your home. So just like a candle that you would put on a table or, you know, just some kind of item that goes in. And if you then get it wrong, if you over worry about it or under worry about it or just neglect it, then it's really easy to get put off. Um, mm-hmm. And we always just try and start with people at the kind of basic of saying, like, right, that plant, where does that plant come from? If it's native to South Africa, you've got to try and mimic as much as you can the environment where this thing is growing. It's the same thing you do if you're in your garden. You're not going to put a shade-loving plant in a south-facing garden where it's getting some all day because it's not going to work. Um, and so it's just, yeah, it, for us, and that's what I love shop it's just about educating um, around their choices and working out what plants are going to work for them um, and what what plants are going to work in the space that they've got and then mm-hmm. when you have success it's really rewarding and then like you the the bug catches and people end up with hundreds of the things all over their house which is brilliant definitely and then once you get a bit more comfortable with it as well you're like oh I can take a cutting from this oh I can make 10 new plants from this little plant and it gets really really exciting then I think yeah. Yeah, definitely. It definitely does. And I think like propagating your own plants, giving them away as gifts um, are, are like really, really fantastic. There's this, uh, the Chinese money plant is a really popular house plant that's really good for that, for propagating. And it has this amazing story behind it that I just love more than any other house plant. In that it arrived in this, kind of, it basically was a, a Norwegian missionary who went to China and found this one plant and he went back to Norway with it and he just through repotting and propagating it and giving off cuttings to friends and family, this plant spread through all of Europe and around the UK um, and it, as late as I think it was the 1980s, the RHS and Kew Gardens didn't know what this plant was, where it had come from, they weren't able to fully classify it. And they put an advert out in the Telegraph, I think it was in the Times, to say, have you got one of these plants? Where did you get it from? And through doing that, they tracked it back to this family in Cornwall who had a Norwegian au pair who'd come over from Norway kind of 30 years beforehand and brought this Chinese money plant, which had then been propagated and propagated and propagated. 
Um, and I think that's just such a good example of how houseplants are brilliant, because if you do look after them like that, you can just spread them around the place. And unfortunately, you end up just giving everyone at Christmas cuttings <laughs> from your plants. But that's such a nice idea, though, that you could literally travel across the world of like just yeah. spread joy, really. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and kind of not being found by some plant hunter or botanist who's able to classify it and do this and then grow it in the nursery. It's just kind of underground spread by people in their homes. And that's the whole point of house plants, I think, is that they should just be something that you can all enjoy at home. Definitely. Um, I've got quite a lot of friends and family into sort of like little house plants, mainly from little cuttings. And my sister will come around. She's like, oh, like that one, that one and that one. I don't like that one. That one looks fussy. So I don't want that one. Um, we've all everyone in my family has got um, a polka dot plant that my mum yeah. bought three of them in lockdown. I think two of them died. And then they're the easiest thing to propagate because you kind of need to keep cutting them down anyway so that they don't get all long and gangly. But I would say mine dies probably once or twice a week and then I water it and bring it back to life. It's the fussiest plant I own. Yeah, but that's kind of how you learn as well. And, you know, we're all guilty of it. We've, uh, you know, some of our plants at home uh, end up getting neglected somewhat because we're so busy with the shop or something else. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the reminder that you need every now and again. Oh, I haven't watered them in ages. And they're quite good. They were like, like you said with the polka plant, like they will look awful. They'll mm-hmm. look like they're on death's door. And then all you've got to do is throw a load of water on them, cut them back a little bit and give it a couple of weeks and you'll have an amazing plant again. Yeah. They're quite forgiving. Definitely. And because you cut you cut the bits off and then you I probably got about eight or nine little plant babies in my little propagation tubes anyway. My mum's got about four of them. I think maybe two or three have died. My sister's got like three of them. And it's just kind of like, even if you do lose it, you're like, oh, I've definitely got loads of spares for that one anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As long as you can you can save bits of it. We've got this, um, we got these really rare philodendrons called philodendron varicosum that came to the shop um, a couple of years ago. And we, we, I repotted one right at the start of lockdown last year. And uh, I basically hadn't, I hadn't checked the saucer properly. So it had been sitting in water and had rotten. Um, and I just watched it kind of die and it was horrible, but I cut it right back. And we still have this very poorly looking little philodendron, which is like two leaves at the moment that I've managed to nurse back to life. But it's still one of my favorite plants because it went through, it looked amazing two years ago, but we've still got it clinging on there. And even though it looks a bit ropey and it's got some brown edges, it feels like a victory to me that we've, we've salvaged something from it. Definitely. I almost think that that's the best bit about houseplants is when you manage to save one. Like I would say probably like a couple of times a year, maybe like three or four times a year. I look at a houseplant and I'm like, oh, that doesn't look good. And I'll pick up that houseplant and be like, oh, that's got really bad root rot. I'll repot that. And then I look at another one and I'm like, pull it out the pot and it's really pot bound. And I'm like, that's why that's looking sad. And then I end up with like 20 plants. that I'm like, all of these plants are dying and I've not even noticed until this point. And then you end up having like a mass session of like, what can I bring back to life? But um, I would say my success rate is up to about 80%. Like actually this was dying a few days ago. It's a little succulent that someone bought me from Sainsbury's and it, um, all the brown leaves have stopped going brown now. So um. Hopeful. That's the thing. Sometimes you just need that reminder to take note. I think it's also the the other thing though that we come up against quite a lot is trying to 
make people understand that brown leaves aren't always a problem mm -hmm. and yellowing leaves aren't always a problem. And I think it's quite easy if you've bought this plant that looks absolutely perfect the day that you take it home. And then as we come into winter, particularly this happens, going back to the Chinese money plant I was talking about, really prone to yellowing leaves at, at the base of the stem. And that's a common thing. And it mm -hmm. doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It just happens in winter because light levels are lower, stays damp for longer, it's a bit cooler. Um, and that's another thing that we're really keen that people take on board, that if you walk out into your garden in the winter, you don't expect to see this kind of lush, red, green rainforest with perfect blooms that are always there and all the rest of it. And it's the, the same goes for houseplants. They're not going to look fantastic all year round. Maybe if you've got grow lights and humidifiers and stuff, you might have a decent crack at it. Um, but also, you know, just relax if you see like you've just said there you know if you see something wrong have a look at it does it look pot bound does it need repotting is there a sign of a pest and if there isn't don't worry a brown tip is a brown tip and the plant will probably be all right and particularly winter i would say to people that this is when your plants will probably start to look not quite as fantastic as mm -hmm. they did through the summer and they will definitely start to thin a little bit and you know just bear with them because they are all right <laughs> and so on the brown brown tips on the leaves would you say that it's better to cut them off or is it best to leave them because my sister keeps asking me about this and on some of hers I'm like I feel like that's just cut the losses but on others of them it's only like a little little portion so you kind of feel like it should be left it's kind of the, the, there's two things there's also the health of the plant so it's like a properly dead leaf mm -hmm. so it, it, I guess the first thing to say is it depends what the plant is, um, mm -hmm. but the general principle is that if it's a dead leaf, nine times out of 10, cutting it off is good because it allows the plant to conserve its energy and to focus on new growth rather than trying to save. If you've got a leaf that's yellowing, it'll be trying to spend its energy pulling that thing back from the brink. Um, so cutting it off is always good. If you've just got the old kind of brown tip on a leaf, um, often that's just a sign of lack of humidity. It's not been misted enough, the air's too dry. And that's really common in the winter. As soon as you turn your radiators on, your air becomes a lot drier. Mm. Um, don't worry too much. You can, you're not gonna hurt the plant. So if it's like a trailing vine, like a devil's ivy or something, and it has a brown tip, if you're just trying to trim that bit off the leaf. Oh, okay. It's not regrow, but aesthetically it might look a little better to you. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not the end of the world because that will eventually, that would crisp up and kind of fall off anyway. So if you want to trim them, it's not damaging it to do that. And most plants genuinely enjoy being cut back. Like we're talking about with the polka dot plant, if you actually cut them back, you end up with plants that are less leggy and thin and you get a much fuller plant anyway. So definitely trimming brown bits is fine. If they're only really small and you're not too fussed, you can just leave them alone though. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, and another slightly more personal question about my alocasias. I've got... Well, I've now got four alocasias, but two of them are quite small and they only ever seem to have three leaves at a time. And then one leaf will start to go brown and another leaf will grow. So I'm like, well, it, it must be healthy enough to be producing another leaf. But is that just the cycle of them or is it because there is something wrong? No, no, no. That normally is the cycle. It may be. So, so they are, as you say, like they're completely... Um, self-limiting to a degree so you tend to find because they have one growth point that the leaves will come out from um as a new leaf comes through usually you'll lose an older one now what should happen with a really healthy alocasia is that in the summer say you've got two kind of stems planted into a pot you may have eight to 12 leaves on them and then that might thin right back to just four in the winter months and every time a new leaf comes out the old one dies off if 
if it isn't throwing out many leaves and the old ones are dying off when the new ones come out, sometimes it's just a sign that there's not enough nutrients for the plant to, to get as big as it wants to. So it's it's sometimes worth looking at light and feed. So if mm-hmm. it's in the summer and you're thinking, well, this plant, it's quite a big plant, but it's only got three leaves. It, it never gets up to six or whatever. Um, it might be worth thinking, well, is it worth feeding if it's not been fed? Does it need fresh compost? And is it right? Um, because sometimes if a plant throws out very small, immature looking leaves, or just simply doesn't throw out as many as it should. Um, it's just it's simply just kind of saying to you, I don't have enough of something to get there. Um, but that said, like some allocators just will have less leaves than others. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't worry about it too much now. But what I'd probably do is in March, have a look at whether or not it needs repotting. Be careful with them not to go. You really don't want to waterlog them. We tend to stay on the drier side with them. So mm-hmm. don't go for a massive pot if you do, or just literally knock the old compost off and put fresh stuff in. That will help. And then maybe look at feeding um, from kind of March through to September. And that does tend to help get more leaves and bigger leaves coming through. Oh, okay, perfect. I'll definitely try that. And that leads quite nicely into my next question, which is about feeding. Um, do you have much advice on feeding? Like, I feel like I've kind of gauged a little bit over the years of like start feeding around the spring stop feeding around now ish so I'm planning to do my last feed now but how regularly should people be feeding their house plants so it's it's kind of up to you and it depends on your confidence level we always say if you're unsure then don't worry too much so mm-hmm. um if you're if you're buying a new plant if we go back to the beginning if you but if you take a plant home from a shop wherever you get it from um, we'd always say just start with water, whatever the time of year is, start with water and just keep an eye on it because you can shock a plant. Obviously, when you're moving it from one space to another, you want to make sure that it likes the light levels. It likes what you're doing with water. And if everything looks like it's going all right after a couple of weeks, then you can start feeding. And we tend the way we tend to do it is about once a month in the spring. And then maybe up to kind of once every two weeks as you get into early summer. And if you've got something that you're really confident with and you want it to grow well and um, you think it's going to be okay, then feeding about once a week is absolutely fine in the height of summer. And then just drop that back off again um, as we get into winter. And we tend to say, yeah, end of September, beginning of October, that's when you want to be doing your last kind of feeding mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and then leave it alone for the winter. Because even though you've got heating and things on, your plants will be becoming more dormant. They'll either go completely dormant or they'll slow down. And the risk with feed is always that you can poison plants if you overdo it. So if you feed them too much, it's actually worse than not feeding them at all. Mm-hmm. If, you, um, if you've if you just repotted something or you bought something in, um, in a classic nursery pot, it will normally have enough nutrients in the soil for about six to eight months. So if you've got it and you don't want to feed for the first six months of having it, that's fine. If you've got something that you've had for a couple of years and you want to get the best from it, definitely start feeding in the second year. So a really common thing that people talk about with peace lilies is that they'll buy them from the shop and they'll be, you know, they'll have loads of these big white flowers on them and they'll look great. And then after a couple of months, they'll stop flowering and then they won't bloom at all the next year. And normally that is just because they've used up all the nutrients they've got. And if you don't then add to the compost with some, some kind of feed, um, you won't you won't get as much from them but i all i always say it's better to to lean on the side of you know not feeding quite enough than overdoing it and killing the plant off perfect and do you have any particular feeds that you would recommend people use 
Yeah, there's quite a few. I mean, the, the, the company that we really like and we recommend, their products are amazing. We sort them, um, it's called Growth Technology and they're based in Somerset. Um, oh, okay. So they're kind of local just down the road and all of their feeds tend to be organic and full of good stuff and they do compost, which are peat-free, but they do a really good houseplant feed, a really good cacti and succulent feed. Um, there's lots and lots out there. Some people just use baby bio and that's absolutely fine. Um, a good trick with cacti, if you don't have like a cacti succulent specific feed, a tomato feed is actually quite good for them. Oh, so you've really? got some of that knocking around in your shed, that works. Um, yeah, you don't have to worry too much. As long as you're not overdoing it, then then there are a lot of good feeds out there. But the, the houseplant, if you've got lots of houseplants, the houseplant focus that growth tech do is really good the one note of caution i'd say is that pretty much all feeds that you buy and and find out there will say use once a week throughout the year or use once a week spring through summer and so as i say sometimes just maybe don't go quite as much as they'll say on the label Mm -hmm. um but yeah there's definitely a lot out there perfect i think i use one called um liquid gold leaf which someone recommended to me ages ago and that is brilliant that is really, really, really good stuff. Um, and yeah, it definitely works amazingly well. Mm. I think I watered, I can't even think what it was, maybe my Monsera with it. And within like two or three weeks, there was like two amazing, like huge new leaves. And I was like, wow, I've not seen leaves like this for a long time. We've got, um, I'm I'm actually sitting in the room that we, so we propagate variegated Monstera cuttings. Um, we've got a couple of big variegated Monstera mother plants. I'm actually sitting in the room that the, um, cuttings are in um i've got one here um when we first when we first started doing them we were literally just water rooting them in in glass water and then um i started using um root ultra which is this stuff that is by this growth tech company and the difference in the speed at which these plants root is insane really we go from waiting kind of four weeks for significant roots to develop to about a week a week and a half Um, and the roots that we get off these cuttings now are really really phenomenal um so you can as well you could you don't have to use um something like that specifically like a rooting hormone but you can just use a feed if you're propagating any kind of cuttings that you do have and you're sticking a plant in a glass of water if you dilute a little bit of feed into that water, you'll find that you get a lot quicker rooting going on than just by doing it in water alone. Oh, amazing. I'm definitely going to try that. I've got like loads of new cuttings that I need to take this week. So um, that is actually another good point. So I've got a flamingo lily um, that I got. It's in like a glass container. So it's not got any sort of like soil or compost. It's like purely in water and my mum gave it to me for my birthday and was like all you need to do is change the water once a week but in my head there's no nutrients in that so like can you just add the sort of feed into that water every now and then yeah yeah exactly and normally you just have to dilute it a little bit more so Mm -hmm. what I tend to do is just do whatever say you were going to feed um a plant in a pot it would say like put 10 mil of this into your watering can mm-hmm. into a litre of water so I just do the same thing before you go near the plant I'd mix 10 mil into a litre and then put that in um, and then you know you're at like the right ratio for it or the other way is to mist them with feed as well mm-hmm. which um, a lot of people don't realise a lot of plants will 
still take in nutrients through their leaves if they're growing particularly like tropical kind of jungle vines things like that they're growing in rainforests a lot of them will get some stuff through the compost but they'll also grow up trees and things like that so if you dilute feed into a spray it's a more gentle way of feeding them than by putting it straight into the root system um so you could also try that with it if you don't want to put feed straight into the water there and it's also a good way if you do feel you need to do like an emergency feed in the winter when you wouldn't normally putting it in a spray bottle is just a bit more of a kind way of trying to feed your plants it's obviously not going to work for a cactus or something like that mm-hmm. but the more loopy tropical house plants it will oh amazing yeah because i think that they like you said, it is looking a bit sad and it doesn't feel like it's producing as many flowers as it did to begin with. But I'm imagining that that's probably just because it's got no nutrients that it can take out of. It's just pure water, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you can sustain plants for a decent length of time, depending on what they are in water. And you will find things sold in nice kind of glass vases and stuff. But yeah, it, 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 it does come a point when you have to give it something because it's not getting it. It's not getting any organic matter from mm-hmm. growing in cotton or on anything so if you can supplement that that would just help mm-hmm. and would you say that that limits its growth in a way because I guess it can't just take nutrients whenever it wants to it's only when you choose to feed it that it is yeah they can do again it comes back to the plant so it's something like that and um, it can do they don't have huge root structures anyway mm-hmm. um it just depends so something like a trailing philodendron doesn't need loads of compost and loads of space to get lots of growth um and monsteras are another really good example of this like people worry about repotting they get a cheese plant and then they the cheese plant starts throwing out aerial roots all over the vine and so then your natural instinct is to worry that it needs a bigger pot straight away because you've got roots everywhere but they're actually this kind of unusual thing called a, a hemiphyte which means basically just that in the wild they will start growing in a forest floor then they'll climb up the trunk of a tree and they are able to completely disconnect from the compost so they can sustain themselves purely on attaching themselves onto a tree and the moisture and humidity they get from the air so it is possible to get big plants and big training plants without needing masses of compost and stuff but there does come a point where if you are not feeding and you're not supplementing it, you are just going to end up with smaller leaves, smaller vines, and they won't get as big and full as you want them to. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess it's a, it would almost just sustain its size rather than, because like some houseplants, you kind of want them to just sustain their size once you're happy with the yeah. size that they're at. Yeah, and that is, and that's something that, if we kind of again regularly chat about in the shop people come in and say what does this plant grow um sounds like a silly question but i, I want a plant that doesn't really grow and obviously yeah. everything does grow. some things have different kind of max capacity and we always say if you do want to keep something smaller just cut it back if you keep it pot bound then that's fine you've just got to keep an eye on the watering and eventually you're either going to have to freshen up the compost or feed it to compensate for that you're not repotting it but even if you've got something say you've got like a peace lily that you don't you, know, you don't want to reach a certain height as the new leaves come up that are quite tall or a palm a palm's quite a good example because they throw out really long leaves if you don't want it to get up to being two meters tall when it throws out that long stem just track it back as low as possible cut it back and if you keep doing that you will end up with this fuller plant that's a bit shorter um, and you are kind of impacting them a little bit because they're obviously not getting the ideal amount of growth they want, but it will ultimately help to fill them out. It's mm-hmm. the same thing. That, again, it comes back to the treating it in a similar way as you would in your garden. It's the same thing. You'd, you'd cut back plants when they get 
wild or in the way or if they're starting to kind of creep onto your lawn or take it over other things it's the same principle with houseplants they're more than happy to just be hacked back a little bit every now and again I think everyone does think that they are like babies and that they need to, I know because some of them are really fussy like you think that you need to baby every single one but quite a lot of them actually do a bit better when you don't interfere quite so much yeah I think that's it and it's so easy I mean people will literally name their plants before they leave the shop will be like I, it's a regular occurrence that I get introduced to the plant that somebody's just bought, bought by saying this is Fred or whatever and it's totally <laughs> understandable that they want to care for it but that sometimes is simply the problem is just over loving them over fussing them over worrying um and we find just ignoring them tends to be a much you you tend to have more success if you just think look i watered it on monday it'll be fine till next monday just leave them alone now Mm -hmm. and what do you find is the biggest like houseplant killer that people come into the shop with all the time um it's probably well, the plant that people kill the most, I would say, is um, string of pearls, um, hands down. Um, I relate to that. And, that, that. and that's normally, that comes back to my earlier point about where they grow. So string of pearls native to South Africa, they need wallop loads of sunlight and they really want to dry out between watering. And if you don't have like a really nice, bright, sunny window, then they get really crumpy really quickly and they rot really quickly. Um, so that's one that people always fall victim to, putting it in a slightly shady corner and watering it once a week and it just rots and dies it's very unforgiving it will just look horrible really quickly if you do that so that's probably the the biggest thing and then i think people tend to go one of two ways really you either get people who come in and say i completely neglect my plants you know i forget to water them for a month and they're dead or i go away a lot i'd say that's less i think mm-hmm. more is rotten roots and overwatering, um and a really common thing actually a, a really common misconception that, that people have don't really understand is around drainage and that if you have so often with an indoor plant you'll get um in a plastic nursery pot and then you'll find a nice decorative basket or decorative pot sitting and if your plant was outside in a pot in your garden you'd have a drainage hole at the bottom but decorative pots for indoors obviously don't and so a really common mistake people make is you leave your plant in the decorative pot sitting in its plastic pot and you just pour water into that pot and what tends to happen is you don't realize that over time there's a water level that's just rising at the bottom and the roots the tips of the roots are sitting in that and then they just rot and it's game over it doesn't matter whether you're watering it once a week uh, if you're doing it exactly as we told you if it's sitting in water for too long you're going to kill it and the same goes for potting it straight out of the plastic pot directly into a decorative pot we always say try to avoid it but if you do just put some stones in the bottom something so that you don't have this problem of roots making contact with water because that's always where the issue comes down to um, and people will often say to us how much should i water do, do i do a cup do i do a shot or, or a glass or a, a half pint glass or, or what um, and i the, the principle that i always come back to is um, always water from the top so there's a lot of debate out there about sifting things in sauce and stuff and there are some plants you can do but if you want success and you're worried water from the top Take your plant from wherever you've got it out of any decorative pot, hold it over a bowl or a sink, slowly pour water over the compost until you feel like that pot is nice and heavy. The moisture is in the soil. It's not just run over it and out and around the side. You've actually soaked it. It looks damp at the bottom, damp at the top. Let it drip off, put it back. And then if you wait until the top couple of inches dry out, for most plants, 
that's all you need to do. And if you do that, then you risk overwatering, you risk rotting roots, you risk all those other kind of problems. Um, and it's a bit more resource intensive. You'll spend more time if you're taking new plants mm-hmm. out and doing it, but it definitely just avoids all those problems. Definitely. I recently nearly killed my string of turtles because it was sat in a little jug and I didn't realise that it had been overwatered. And I kept, you keep watering it, you think, oh, it looks a bit yellow, maybe it needs a water. Yeah. And then after a few weeks, I was like, there's something different wrong with this plant. Like, luckily it's come back now, but most of the time when I'm not super busy, like I am at the minute, I like to take all my plants to the bathroom and put them in the bathtub outside of their decorative pots, because then you can just let them like have the water for like, I normally do it for like five minutes, just give them a water and then let them drain for like half an hour so that I'm not traping muddy water all through the house. But I do find that that works much better especially for those plants that they need to completely dry out before they're watered but then they need to be like properly watered before they dry out again and there's an added benefit to doing that as well in that a lot of plants will gather dust on their leaves and you don't realize it but the the increase of the dust that you've got is stopping that plant being able to photosynthesize and that can make it a little bit poorly so if you do put it in your bath and you literally shower the things you're actually cleaning them down you're giving them humidity you're giving them a good water so you're doing all of it in one go so it feels like it's a bit more of a chore but actually you're, you're ticking a lot of boxes really quickly that way it's very satisfying as well i love putting yeah. them all back and they all look shiny and new <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> um do you have a favorite house plant to grow could you pick one favorite uh, it changes all the time i was um, going to say mine changes from week to week yeah it really really does i think we have like specific specimens that are our mm-hmm. favourite. So we've got a we've got our own kind of big variegated monstera that's currently living in the shop downstairs. But from that, we took a cutting um, that's at home in our kitchen, and it's just like four little leaves. They don't have any splits in them or anything else, but it's just got the most amazing variegation over them, and I absolutely adore that plant. Um, and then there's a there's this devil's ivy that I've never been a big fan of Devil's Ivy, but we installed one um, in a cafe that we work with uh, called The Undergrad, which is just behind our shop. And we installed it back in April. And um, they've got a whole load of grow lights and stuff in there. And we go in every week and tinker with the plants. And this Devil's Ivy is the most amazing specimen I've ever seen. It's just gone beyond our wildest dreams in terms of how big the leaves have got, how just, it's just a really impactful plant. And it completely changed my outlook on this plant that I'd always thought like, oh, it's just kind of a trailing vine that's easy to look after. It's not that interesting. Um, Actually, it's really stunning. I would say probably if I had to pick like a specific um, species, the one really unusual one that we've had in, it's a bit easier to get hold of now, and we've got them in stock, it's called um, Anthurium clarinervium. Mm-hmm. which is basically so anthuriums are you normally you see them in supermarkets with these kind of really uh, plasticky colored flowers and plain green leaves and this guy has that black heart-shaped big heart-shaped leaves with kind of um white markings all over them and they're incredibly slow growing but the amazing thing about these is that rare plants are normally really fussy really difficult and awful and this guy you just neglect the hell out of it and it just survives um, <laughs> and we've had one home that has gone i mean you meant to water every week and it's, it's genuinely gone for like a month at one point without being watered and it just still looks great um so they're really nice and unusual as well but i, I think it's difficult for us we have so many plants in the shop that i just think oh i like that one oh, I yeah like that one. 
do you find that every time you get new stock and you're like oh i could keep that one and that one and that one yeah. and that one yeah we, we've had to be more selective so our, our collection at home now is just a lot more unusual and i think it's only when we get really rare stuff in we're like we we can justify taking one of those home mm-hmm. um because we just have too many plants. Like we, we water all day, every day as it is. And I don't have enough time to look after everything. So we try to be a bit more controlled. But it does feel like every, we normally get our plants arriving on a Friday and it feels like Christmas every week when they come and you stand out there looking at trolleys going, oh, those are beautiful, those are beautiful. Um, so yeah, for sure. I can imagine it's pretty much a dream come true. Um, so let's go back to the beginning. How did you actually get started with Hutch? Where did it all begin? Um, it's it's kind of a it's a bit of a bonkers story. We so we were doing kind of boring office jobs, um, working in London and then in Birmingham, and we moved back to Devon to be closer to my family at the time. And we were kind of desperately trying to avoid going back into jobs that we didn't enjoy. And we were going to open a bar was the original plan <laughs> because I'd grown up in pubs and we kind of knew it we knew we wanted to work for ourselves we wanted to do um and frankie had been my wife had been making planting up terrariums and started selling them at various like craft fairs markets and stuff around the local area and that started going really well and people kept saying oh do you have a shop um i'd love to buy one but it's a christmas present something else and a number of things fell through with the bar and this unit on Paris Street next to came up and it was like a six month lease before they were going to knock the building down and um we I remember we were kind of drowning our sorrows in a bar at the time uh, something had fallen through with what we were planning to do and we just went well should we just go and view this unit and we could sell some of your terrariums and um she was mad into houseplants at the time we're like we could stock some plants to go around the terrariums and go from there and that was back in 2017. Um, and I'm still sitting in the same unit now. It's not been knocked down yet. Um, That's so cool. And yeah, it's, and it's just, we've always, we never really had a plan for it. And day one of us opening, I remember standing in the shop thinking, uh, Frankie, please don't leave because I really don't know enough to justify me being standing here. But it's been such an amazing journey because we've spent four years basically looking after thousands of plants day in, day out. and my passion for it just came out of nowhere. I did not think that this was going to be something that I'd be interested in doing. Um, and I just love it. I absolutely love every single day in here. Um, and we've just, yeah, everything that we've done has just been kind of born out of us just saying, oh, we'll give that a go. Oh, we'll give that a go. See if that happens. See what happens here. Um, and yeah, we're, we're still here and we're busier than ever and touch wood, it kind of continues. So it's been a bit of an adventure. I feel like you must have literally got it at the perfect time as well, because well, I know houseplants have always been a thing, but the last like two, three years are when it's really, really like, I'm guessing you've probably yeah. seen the same where it's really taken off and it's suddenly like really cool for everyone to yeah. have a houseplant. For sure. And I think that um, when we opened in 2017, it was the, the one thing that Frankie kept saying was, it's really frustrating. I can't find houseplants anywhere. I either go to a garden centre and they're all stuck in a corner. And whilst the outdoor plants look amazing, they don't know what they're doing with the indoor plants. Or I go to a and q or a supermarket mm-hmm. and I don't have a choice. And so she was very keen. She was like, let's offer people the choice. That if this is what we do, then we can we can be a place that people can go to and I think houseplants were definitely of interest to people then I think we confused some people we, we also had a little cafe bit inside and we'd get people coming in 
Um, I don't think Exeter was quite prepared at that point. They were like, is this a coffee <laughs> shop? You sell plants? You sell outdoor plants? Or is it just indoor plants? I don't really know what's going on. Um, and then, yeah, every year it's got busier. And then at the start of COVID, like everyone, we were kind of sitting there nervously thinking, what's going to happen to the business? Um, we're going to have to close. And we very quickly moved online, which wasn't something that we'd done before because we were very much of the view that you needed to come in and look at the plant and see the plant. Um, and it's just got busier and busier. And I think lockdown, everybody sat at home and was staring at the same four walls and realised they needed some greenery around them. And the nice thing about this time, I think there's been waves of interest in houseplant over houseplants over the decades. But I think this time around, it feels a little more like it might stay because people are seeing the benefits for their mental mm-hmm. health for um, their well-being for being surrounded by greenery and, and that actually you don't have a lot of people don't have outdoor spaces they don't have big gardens or a balcony even so that they can um, grow things on so this is a really great way of being able to do that if you don't have a garden definitely and I, I love what you said about the mental health aspect there um, I think it's that kind of sometimes when you just need like a bit of a purpose like on a day where I'm feeling a bit like glum sometimes repotting houseplant is just what I need and then I'm all excited again because I'm envisioning the new leaves or you see a new leaf or you see a new pot and it's just that excitement of like it's like having a little child but with a lot less commitment (laughs) yeah massively and I think we you know I'm I'm not that old. I'm about to sound really old. I'm in my thirties, but I, you know, the the prevalence of technology and like the speed at which everything has to be done now, there's always an expectation that if you want something, you order it online and it's delivered the next day and you have to respond to somebody's WhatsApp. And there's all these pressures that even when I was a kid were not as strong as they are now. Mm. And I think having plants goes against all of that because it just forces you to look away from your phone to shut your computer to just stop and it's a bit like mindfulness you're just there you're in the moment um and it's still one of the most enjoyable things about our business we we've recently taken on um uh, a plant maintenance contract for the ivy of open restaurant next to and it's hellish in that you have to get up at seven you have to be there at 7 a.m on a saturday before the restaurant opens but it's also one of the favorite parts of my week because it's just kind of a couple of hours where the only thing that I have to do is look after a couple of hundred plants and I'm not thinking about the shop or anything else or phone calls. I'm just there to water and care for and clean these plants. And if you force yourself to do that, it just has such a big impact on how you feel, I think. anyway. Definitely. And you know what? We went to the Ivy not long ago, maybe a few months ago, and I was looking around and I was like, do you think all these plants are real? Because They've, they've only recently opened and all the houseplants look perfect. I was like, but I don't know how, like whose responsibility is it to care for all these plants? And then when I saw you put it on Instagram, I was messaging all my friends like, Hutch houseplants look all after all the plants. That's how they look so good. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a stressful job, definitely. But it is a massive pretty, amount of plants. It really is. It really, really is. But it's, um, it's a good challenge because we really like working with um, installations mm-hmm. and uh, putting plants into places because I think when you have a shop, often the only time you hear, you hear sometimes people say nice things on Instagram or whatever if they've just bought a plant. 
But the only time you'll hear after that is if there's a problem, you know, please help, mm-hmm. I've got a pest, or people like this. So we don't always see, you know, two, three years down the road what our plants are doing. So it's really nice to go into spaces that we've been working on for a few months and you really start to see them flourish and grow. And um, it's always a challenge trying to balance because it's a functioning restaurant. Um, so the plants aren't be all and end all, but making them work and live and thrive there, um, which is fun. Definitely. And so do you do quite a lot of like the plant selection and bits and pieces as well for certain businesses? Like, is that a service you offer? Yeah. yeah so the, the the kind of idea is, uh, it goes back to the point of what I said about we just don't say no really to anything. <laughs> um, but what, we've, what we're really passionate about doing across the board is just educating people on what works. So, yes, if you've got an office or a restaurant, or whatever, you could go to Ikea and chuck some plants in pots and that might work for you. Um, but what we try to do is we offer a service where we will go out and we do all sorts of different things from you know, ongoing maintenance contracts where we will literally come in every week and water through to just coming and looking at a space and I'll go along and we'll look at what the light levels are like. We'll look at where the radiators are, what the air conditioning units are, like have a chat with them about what it is that they want to achieve. Um, and then pick them some plants that will work and then provide the care advice. Because for us, it's so much more important, I think, that you get, if, you're, if you are a workspace or you're a restaurant or you're an office, you're putting plants in for a reason. You're not just, you don't want something you're just going to throw in that's going to die the following week. So we're really keen to just make sure that people make the right choices so that the plants thrive and, and do well. Definitely, and that is amazing. We, um, we bought pre-COVID, we bought a lot of office plants and I didn't know anywhere near as much about houseplants as I do now. And a few of them started to look sad. And we were like, we learned very quickly, like this plant is dying. What are we going to do? And we kind of brought a lot of them back to life. And then when COVID hit, they got adopted by a lot of non-houseplant people. And then when we asked everyone to bring them back to the office, I think we had like four or five very sad looking plants that were returned. And we were like, we had like over a hundred plants. Well, where are they all? Yeah, I think that's the thing. That's so common. The amount of offices and places that we ended up going to last year when that first lockdown started lifting, who had done the same thing. And some people had specimens that were thriving and other people had just left them in the office or given them to somebody, um, which is quite funny. I quite enjoyed watching throughout that lockdown and the others the um the kind of things that you'd see on like bbc news where people would be on zoom and how over a few months the amount of plants that they had in their backdrops would just grow and grow and grow and you'd see people go from just sitting in front of like a bookshelf to look mm-hmm. intelligent or whatever to suddenly these palms appearing out of nowhere and trading plants from down the side which is quite good I think it's quite an art to kind of like create that image. I did a um, Instagram live not that long ago, literally in this room that I'm sat in now. And my sister had come round, and we were moving all of my houseplants from everywhere to kind of like create a little jungle background behind me. And the actual picture of me sat on the floor in this jungle houseplant was ridiculous. But the <laughs> like Zoom background was perfect. And I was like, if I could have this every, t- every day that I'm on the Zoom call, I would be yeah. over the moon. Yeah. 
I think that's the thing that you don't see, isn't it? It's the behind the scenes that goes into making something look like that. We have Absolutely. it with, with whenever we're trying to do Instagram posts or anything like that, you suddenly realise, oh, that looks awful on the floor. There's a pot that's knocked over over there. Oh, we need to move that right. And you don't realise the staging that can go on for some of these things. Definitely. There's so much detail in each picture and you're like, oh, you can just see the yeah. corner of that pot over there. Like, I need to move yeah. that out of the way. <laughs> Yeah, we tend to say though, like with with um, with plants, people often when they want that zoom impact, so you want this like jungle look. The one piece of advice I always give people is don't necessarily if you don't have a huge budget and you don't want to have hundreds hundreds of plants, then you need to aim at a couple of key things. So the first is we always say if you can have some kind of statement in the room, that will go much further than getting lots of little plants. So Definitely. I don't see the big pira that's sitting behind me here. Just by having one tall plant with lots of big green leaves adds more to a room the second thing is if you can get any that are up high so if you've got a shelf and you can sit a training plant on it just one training plant at kind of above eye level is really helpful and then if you want to dot a couple of little things on a bedside table or a desk if you can hit three areas like that rather than having to get hundreds of plants in in your room or your living room or wherever if you can just catch the eye lines when you walk in the room you see the big plant you look up you see something trained out and then you notice the smaller detail you can do a lot with just three or four plants Mm -hmm. that's so true and you know what i've probably got my cow's plant collection is maybe like 60 plants at this point but probably 40 of them are really small baby plants and they are such a faff like sometimes i think if i'd have just bought one bigger plant rather than spending 25 quid on lots of little ones it does make more of a difference like i've got four plants that kind of grade down in height i think it's like a dracaena a monsera an alocasia and a ficus and they look beautiful and then you look at the windowsill with all the little baby plants on it actually looks a bit of a mess but in like a year or so i'll be really satisfied that i've grown them all from little babies but there's pros and cons to both (laughs) exactly if you buy small it is really rewarding when you see that growth come off because you know that you've done that definitely my ficus when i bought it had two leaves and it was probably like 20 centimeters tall it's now like 60 centimeters tall and has like 10 leaves and it is majestic amazing yeah that is we've got a um we've got a a fiddle leaf fig that frankie bought long long before we had the shop like 2014 or something and they're Mm -hmm. really fussy and slow growing and difficult but it must have been about i don't know 30 40 centimeters when we bought it um and it's about nine foot tall now i think oh wow like it's literally new touching the scene it's it's so huge and the leaves are massive and it's really crept up on us because it's been such a long process of it just growing in the corner but it does feel really rewarding when you then stumble across a photo that one of your plants is in you're like oh my god that's how small it was yeah <laughs> um the process it brings us right back to what we were saying about the beginning about that propagated money plant it's like that story carrying on of like you this is this has been through however many house moves with me this is the plant I got when I did that um I think most of mine have like a little memory tied to them yeah definitely and and that's so nice and and you you hear people saying that their grandparents have passed them down to them um if I turn my screen I don't know whether you can you can't quite see so there's a massive jade plant Mm-hmm. there on the edge of the, the camera there this is a money plant that a lady we we adopted from a lady who had it 
on her reception desk where she worked for 30 years. She retired. She then didn't have space for it in her kitchen. And it's an absolute monster. And then there's a yucca in the corner here as well that's touching the ceiling now that used to be on the shop floor. And again, we we took this from a lady who'd got it at uni as like a 30 centimetre tall plant. And then it had grown and grown and grown and she couldn't fit it in her conservatory anymore. So like, well, we'll, we'll adopt that. Mm-hmm. And now I have such a- affection for them but I don't know what to do with them. They're so huge and the pressure is so great because they've got a story behind them and I want to continue that story, but you suddenly find yourself thinking, I really don't want it to die and I can't just get rid of it. I've got to find somewhere for this plant now. It's like a little plant museum in there. (laughs) Yes, yeah, it is. It's basically that, I mean, the whole. there's no space in this shop that you'll find that doesn't have plants somewhere, either (laughs) plants recovering, plants being propagated or just, yeah, we've got all sorts knocking about. I love the plant recovery area as well. My friends and family often drop off plants where they're like, I think that this is dead. Please, can you take it for a little while? And sometimes there's success. But I always have a little table that's like a plant nursery of like sick plants. Yeah, it's amazing what you do. This, the, the weird thing is this this room that I'm in now is above the shop and it gets really decent level of light and it gets really quite hot in here as well in the summer mm-hmm. but what we find is if you have a plant that looks a bit poorly because it's going to be dry something you sit it in a tray of water up here just for a couple of hours and the impact the heat light and moisture will have on it really really quickly it's an amazing hospital it's why the the variegated monstera cuttings do so well up here it's just because it's ideal conditions but it's always good to have a little area where you know you've got to pay attention to those plants because they're yeah. the unknown. Well, you'll be gutted if they do ever knock that building down. I feel like your life's worth yeah, in there now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we just got to find we just got to find more space. I think really, uh, and yeah, and find somewhere else for it. But yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Exciting. Well, I think that probably just about wraps up the episode. Um, even though I could definitely continue talking for another two or three hours about this. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, that's the problem. Once I get started, I just yeah can't stop <laughs> definitely I'll come and visit you in the shop sometime soon when we're not so constricted on time yeah that sounds good perfect well thank you so much for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure no problem thank you for having me no worries it was great to chat to Rob about houseplants my apologies for taking advantage of this time to get my own personal houseplant problem solved but it was ridiculously helpful Hopefully you took something away too, even if that was a new basket full of dreamy plants from Hutch House Plants. If you're local, I'd 100% recommend visiting the shop. And if not, definitely take a look at their online store, hutchhouseplants.co.uk. Oh, and definitely give them a follow on Instagram for the most gorgeous green feed. They're at Hutch House Plants. So thank you again for coming on the podcast, Rob. If you've enjoyed listening today, please do subscribe to keep up to date with upcoming episodes and leave a review. In the meantime, I would love to hear any of your questions and stories on Instagram at Diary of a Lady Gardener or via email diaryofaladygardener at gmail.com. That's all from me this week, so happy growing! <laughs>